Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm going to pot angry today. Let's do it. Let's (laughs) pot angry. Well... Hello, and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am merely Andy Behrens, coming to you from Chicago, per the usual. I am joined, of course, by the Hall of Famer, the multi-sport fantasy legend, Scott Pianowski. He is somewhere in the great state of Michigan. Scott, how are you today? I am outstanding, Andy. Looking forward to talking uh, some historical fantasy football today. This, this podcast will not help you win your league in 2022. In fact, it might make you a little bit worse, but it's going to be a fun pod. If you are, I don't know, if you're if you're like a veteran fantasy manager, somebody who's been playing for the last 20 years and you're kind of stuck in the in in your ways, maybe it'll help. Maybe it'll help jar you uh, into into the modern era. We are uh, I think everybody listening to this podcast knows that Scott and I are just a couple of ancients who have been writing and and talking about fantasy football professionally for like uh, 15, 20 years. We've been playing it much longer than that. We have seen uh, some pretty significant changes, both in the real life game and in fantasy. Uh, and today we're going to dig into the history of, of what has basically changed as the game has gotten more and more popular. Uh, and, and we're doing this because we still see people drafting and managing their teams in a way that may have worked 15, 20 years ago, but won't work today. Uh, shout out to our producers here at Yahoo who had the great idea. You know, they thought to themselves, well, here's here's two very old men who, you know, while we have them and while they're lucid, let's let's put their thoughts down uh, on audio and uh, and record it for posterity's sake. So, again, you and I, a couple of elders, we're, we're just going to talk about some of the biggest things in fantasy football that have changed since we began playing. Uh, and we're going to we're going to try to spin this in a helpful way. But who knows? I would expect us to go down some rabbit holes here. I, I want to start with talk, talk a little bit more about how old we are, by the way. You know, did I, I did I, I mention like, that we were old? We're, we're yeah, old. this is really re- I like to focus on that with, you know, with our, our management perhaps changing in the next year or so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just want to identify myself. Uh, God, you're killing me. Baron. OK, OK, Scott, not so much. But me, I'm ancient. Um, Scott is Scott is a very youthful. Uh, uh, he's a young buck just coming up, just trying to make the key his way is the facial hair, game. Andy. I think I think you look as much as I think the goatee looks good on you. I, I think it makes you look seven years older. I, I you know, I whenever I'd love to grow a beard and, and it, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just makes me look older. So I and then I shave and, and I get carded at, th- at places and people look at my license and go, oh, I didn't think you were that age. So I'm, I'm so gray. I've I've had a lot of work done, too. And uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I can see that. 
<laughs> a lot of it. Um, so I want to I want to start, you know, like we came up with with a list of a whole bunch of things that have changed pretty dramatically, many of them in the game itself, some of them in in fantasy uh, exclusively. And I want to start there because you you fired off one just before we we started podcasting. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't come up with it on my list. And it's it's the extent to which scoring has changed since you and I began playing, right? Um, it like scoring in fantasy leagues used to just be hilariously simple. Um, it was maybe it involved yardage. The earliest leagues just involved touchdowns, just involved points scored. And of course, some of that is the fact that, you know, back in the day, as recently as the 90s, we had to rely on newspaper box scores. And if a thing wasn't reliably going to be printed in the paper, we couldn't use it in our fantasy league. So I, I don't know. Tell me, tell me, first of all, like, what is your what is your first league? Like, what year was that league played? And what were the what were the scoring settings to the best of your uh, ability to remember? Yeah, my fantasy football goes back. I think it's 1992. It might be 1993, but I'm pretty sure it's 92. Shout out to the now defunct courthouse, which was a racquetball club in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. My <laughs> dear friend, a guy who was really formative in my life, and I'm happy to give him a shout out, although there's no chance he's listening to this podcast. Jerry O'Connor was a professor friend of mine. I took a couple of classes with him, including one class called Culture of Sports. I, I wrote my memoirs as a kid gambler. And what you could do is if you gave him a self-addressed stomped envelope, he would give you back your term paper with a grade on it. And so my professor, Jerry O'Connor, sends me back my term paper with an A. He said he loved the paper and, and a uh, invite to his bowl pool. He he, uh, he ran an NFL pool and a, <laughs> and a bowls, bowl game pool. So that's when you know you're with the right professor. He invites, he invites me to come out, have a beer with him and, and gamble with him which is awesome. So I've become a social member of the courthouse. There was a health club, racquetball club. I never played a game of racquetball. I never lifted a weight. I never stepped on a treadmill. I'm trying to do that stuff now, but I wasn't doing that stuff back then. I was just there to drink. And they had a fantasy football league. You know, I was I was there for the NCAA basketball pools and the fantasy football stuff. So Mike Washburn was the guy who was our first commissioner. And I got uh, friendly with him. This guy, Jim Shaughnessy, was in that league. Awesome guy. And Washburn and I, I quickly became kind of like the um, associate, not not commissioner so much, but scorekeeper. And what we would do every Monday, we had our rosters and um, on pieces of paper. We had to set our lineup on Friday, by the way. So good luck with, you know, no, there was no like, yep. you know, game time decision or anything. You had to make your mind up on Friday in writing at the courthouse, send a list of a, a paper list that Washburn would, would, you know, turn into rosters. And on Monday we would talk on the phone and we would go through the scoring, which was, you got six points if you scored a touchdown. You get three points if you threw a touchdown pass. If the touchdown were over 50, 50 yards or over, you got three more points. If you were running back or receiver who had 100 receiving or rushing yards not added together, you got three bonus points. If you threw for 300 or more yards, you got three bonus points. We did have kickers. We did not have team defenses. And so you, know, you might score 30 points. A really good week, it was in the 40s. You know, one week somebody scored like 60 or something. It was like you landed on the moon. <laughs> and we used to have a friendly rivalry, Washburn and I, of, of who would make, you know, who would have a cleaner sheet with the scoring. Because inevitably, you know, the two-point conversion came into the game. We, we, I think you get a point if you were involved in a two-point conversion. You'd miss something like that. Or you'd miss, oh, oh yeah, that guy, you know, Reggie Cobb did have 103 rushing yards. That's an extra three points. That was our league. It was newspapers. It was very basic scoring. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, also, we were a points-based league. It was just you scored as many points as you, as you scored that week. 
at the end of the season, whoever had the most points won the league. And I believe, oh, I'm pretty sure okay. we used week 17 also. There's none of this. Uh, you used to the deal with it. Every four weeks, you couldn't pick up guys freely. Every four weeks, we had a supplemental draft or a secondary draft, I think Washburn would call them, where you could add and drop guys. Um, but other than that, you had to live with your roster other than making trades. Again, if you made a trade, you had to fill out all this paperwork. It was great. You know, Commissioner, we have a trade. You come over with two signed sheets of paper. But, you know, if, if you had a bunch of injuries, man. You had to wait till the next supplemental draft, which was a month away. And I loved it. I remember after every Sunday night, I would go to a sports bar. There was no, um, I don't think Sun, either Sunday ticket didn't exist then. or I didn't have direct TV or whatever. I, I forget exactly. But I'd go to a sports bar, watch as many games as I could, watch as much action as I could. And every Sunday night, I'd be like, you know, that was the most fun day of the week. I, I enjoyed that so much. <laughs> I cannot wait for the next one. And uh, it was a simpler time. It, it, the information was totally different. Um, you know, everybody drafted out of a magazine. Uh, the internet was in its infancy. I was on the internet early, but there was no RotoWire, or Roto News, or Roto World, or you know Evan Silva. I'm not even sure if he was born yet. Um, <laughs> you know these people; these things didn't exist yet. You know, John, the, even the John Silva Hansen Dynasty, was, the Silva fantasy, yeah, the dynasty Silva Dynasty really had not started yet. Evan Evan was probably like 11 years old, and you know, dominating his little league or stickball game or whatever. But um, yeah, it was a much simpler time, a much more. Um, it sounds all antiquated now. Before the internet, everything was different. This is just one example of that. Yeah, my the the first league that I was in that I actually that I took seriously and that was was administered properly uh, and and functioned really well was also 1993. It was like you know a first job out of school sort of league, very similar. We had to you know because it was a workplace league and every, everything was done like you know our fantasy matchup was like, but each person would would score the fantasy matchup separately on like paper, right, and then compare notes on Monday. And we we also had to get the lineups in on Friday because like we weren't working Saturday and Sunday, and nobody was nobody was communicating over the weekend, right? We didn't have I don't know we weren't I'm gonna sound ancient again here, but like you know we weren't online constantly, we weren't on our we, we didn't have phones to be on constantly, so you got your lineups in on Friday, and that was that. Like you didn't you didn't have any like Sunday late breaking injury information to react to anything like that. Like if you made a mistake on Friday, you were stuck with it. And mine was, you know, actually, I feel like our scoring settings were relatively advanced for the time, but it was still just touchdowns and yardage the way we're accustomed to now. And then our commissioner gave us like a two point bonus. I want to say if a guy caught five pass, basically for every five receptions, um, you got two points. So it was like an early version of PPR. Um, but I, I don't, which I don't you think probably you complained really about the whole season, right? You, you, <laughs> which, you noted, which, you know, PPR. whatever your first, whatever your first league is, those, that's what you take. That's what you consider like to be standard settings. Right. So like in my head, that was just standard and that's how it was going to be. And that, that's the league I played for like the first four years or so, but we just got, you know, weekly we'd get, you know, a, a, a stapled together packet via inner office mail that as your update for the league that week, it was, it was tremendous, but you know, we didn't have the scoring options that, that obviously exist today. And we didn't have like instant scoring, which is obviously available today. You, you touched on something there, which, which um, was one of the first things that came to mind for me when, when we began discussing this topic and that is access to information, right? Like, it used to be such an edge and you used to be able to gain such an incredible edge by just um, by just paying attention. If you read the right sources, if you had any way to stay in touch with like the beat writers associated with a team, um, you could just get a massive edge. Um, and this is you and I are obviously talking like basically pre-internet era. 
But even in the internet era, for so long, we had to rely on like content aggregators and people would write weekly columns with news and notes that you were supposed to do. Now, if you're just following one or two guys, like you can get in a Sunday morning via Rappaport and, and Schefter, you can get pretty much everything you need to know on a Sunday morning. So like any any edge that anyone ever had in terms of uh, in terms of information, player information, injury information, unless you're like an employee of a team or a beat writer yourself, like good luck. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when I come into these days, a new piece of in information on Twitter, I think it's too late. Somebody already knew this. And if there's a reaction move to be made in one of my leagues, it's been made, which is, you know, it's I guess there's, there's good and bad things about that. Also, just want to throw back to my early league. We did not have a tight end position. We only started two receivers. And if you wanted to draft somebody like Tony Gonzalez, he just got lumped in with, with all the other receivers. We didn't <laughs> have a dedicated tight end. We added that a few years later. Um, I, I've talked about this a lot with fantasy baseball too. I mean, you could, your edge was maybe reading the Sunday Boston Globe or reading the USA Today for the, uh, where they go team by team notes where they'd have little tidbits. And sometimes you could pick up something that people wouldn't know. I also thought I had an edge because I was at a sports bar and I could see, if I was lucky enough to watch a team at the goal line, I could see if their personnel changed or something. Oh, this guy yeah. isn't playing at the goal line. Maybe he's he's not going to get a chance for touch. We all the stuff we have now with with targets and goal line reps and there's so much there's so much specialized information now and there's tons of sources that are we're, we're so much smarter now. Nobody was just, counting snaps. Nobody, nobody was, was counting, counting targets. Those things for sure, yeah. for sure. It could be like, oh wow, it felt like. Heath Sherman didn't play a lot today. Nobody was saying he only played 15 snaps, you know, or he was pulled inside the 20 or whatever. You had to come up with that on your own, probably. Um, so, yeah, the information game has totally changed. And, you know, back at this time, too, both for my fantasy football and baseball leagues, you, you talked about printouts. I, I used to bring that stuff with me. I, I'd go to, like, lunch from my sure, my day job. Yeah. You know, my, I, I'd go to lunch back then. I was a newspaper reporter and I had a very brief time where I was in the business world and realized I didn't want to be in there. But I'd go to lunch with my sheets, my rosters and, and try to figure out, OK, where who matches up for trades? I used to lead my baseball league in trades every year. We'd count them and I'd be like way ahead of everybody else because I was grinding that stuff. You know, now it's like when, when I, I'm trying to make a trade, I'm trying to trade Juan Soto in the Friends and Family Baseball League. And, you know, I, I can't get people to respond to me. I can't even people, Dalton wrote me back. But um, and, and I'm sure if I engaged like Frank Schwab, he would he would talk to me or Erickson or something. But um, trading's a pain in the neck now. It used to be really, really fun. And again, again it was everything was on paper. You know, it was a yeah. paper and pencil league. You know, did, did people even have pencils now except for the SAT exam? I mean, <laughs> probably not. But uh, Matt, Matt Patricia has all the pencils. That's why there's, there's no more pencils in the world. And boy, am I excited to see that he might be running the Patriots offense. Play caller. Year, How about that? Play yeah. caller. Yeah. Life, just right to kill Harry's out of my life. Uh, they bring in Matt <laughs> Patricia back. What are you doing to me, Patriots? You're killing me. Yeah, but the information edge, another story I know I've told here before, but I'll mention again because I love this story. So I was early online, okay? I had Prodigy. Once I saw what Prodigy was, oh, my God, I could see how the how the baseball runs were scored before the box score comes out. I can get a version yeah. of the box score if I wait 25 seconds for it to load. This is unbelievable. I've landed on the moon. So I, I go into some of these, um, I don't know what they called them, message boards, news groups, whatever they were. I make friends with this guy, Dan Williamson, who some of you may know. He's a, a dynasty uh, fantasy writer. He's a very successful player for a long time. He eventually got into the fantasy space, and, and Dan Williamson's just a great guy. So he's a Minnesota person. 
And he tells me in 1998, I believe I have the year right, Randy Moss, rookie, you know, everybody knows the story. You know, he ends up at Marshall, um, you know, after things not working out at Notre Dame or Florida State. He's great, but at a lower level of competition, he falls in the draft. He's hoping the Cowboys are going to take him. Eventually, Minnesota takes him. But wait a minute. What are the Vikings doing? They already have two receivers, right? This is a time where, you know, three receivers on the field is, is not a, a common package. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really clear what Moss's role is going to be right away. It's obvious he's talented, but he might be a little bit of a wild card. So Williamson, I get friendly with this guy. And th this was my my secret insider info is I know somebody from Minnesota who can get access <laughs> to stuff I'm not going to get access to. And so Williamson tells me, he sends me an email, a message over the computer, Andy. And he said, um, <laughs> they did they did a, some sort of red zone drill the other day and Moss had eight touchdowns. <laughs> He's like, please draft this guy. Uh, and so later in the league that summer, there was a uh, a big trade we drafted and somebody who was new to fantasy made a trade where we thought this person had gotten ripped off, but this person got Moss back in the deal. And we were trying to cancel the trade, looking out for the interest of this new player. Like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, this is going to screw the league up. And the person was right all along. Uh, Ann Gonzalez was her name. And she ended up being a really good fantasy player because she recognized that Moss was an uh, you know undervalued asset. Anyway, I, I should have had Moss on all of my teams, which back then meant two. <laughs> you know, yeah. not, we weren't in 13 leagues. We're in one league. And if you're in two leagues, you were crazy. You were a wacko. You were a zealot. But uh, yeah, Randy Moss, this Williamson told me, hey, he just scored eight touchdowns at practice yesterday. You have to draft this guy. I know he's the third receiver and, you know, who would ever draft a number three receiver? It's like drafting a number four receiver now. You just wouldn't do it. But uh, back then, Cause it was it was different. Chris Carter and Jake Reed, right? And yes, that's correct. How, how could Randy Moss possibly challenge the great Jake Reed? Right. And Brad, Brad Johnson, a quarterback, too. And then eventually that ended up being Randall Cunningham. And Moss was so much fun. I I forget Roto Pat, maybe somebody recently was going down a, a Moss rookie year rabbit hole and all the great touchdowns he scored. And the, the, he only had three catches on Thanksgiving Day at Dallas, but they were all touchdowns and they're all like just suitable for framing touchdowns. And he's and he's clowning someone on every one of them. Right. They're all like 50 yarders. I think I think he's the most fun player I've ever yeah. seen in, in my fantasy. The, the, you can argue. I think he's the number two receiver of all time. I think Rice is still kind of on an island. And then you can argue, you know, Moss and Owens and Harrison. And I, I don't really know how to handle the guys before the fantasy era or before the Super Bowl era. I, I don't know how good Don Hudson was. You know, I'll, I'll leave that to some people who are older than I am. But I think Moss is the number two receiver of all time, at least in the fantasy era. And I, and I think he's just the most fun player. I, I enjoyed him immensely in Minnesota. Obviously, I enjoyed him in New England. Um, he's just a fun guy, man. I mean, you know, straight cash, homie. I'll be saying that the rest of my life. Oh, absolutely. Um, no argument for me on Moss. As I, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, you know, with with respect to to how much information is out there and how quickly it gets out there now, we're about to come into that that time frame, like during training camps and and preseason practices, where we'll get these episodes in which a player will like go down and practice, right? And because we have immediate access to information from all these writers who are like, you know, live tweeting whatever they're seeing in front of them, we'll get an immediate, you know, uh, whoever the player is, somebody, some running back goes down in practice. Uh-oh, non-contact injury. Like the entire fantasy world will react to it, tell you who the backup is. Tell, like we'll, we'll go through the whole fire drill. It'll last about 45 minutes. We'll process news of this injury and then practice will end. We'll find out it was like a cramp or something like that. And like an entire injury cycle happens in like 45 minutes all the way to resolution. And the player is fine. And he's practicing again in a couple of days. And like, you, you know, it, but 
it wasn't that long ago that we never heard about any of that stuff, right? And now we have to process the whole episode. Right. And we know the personnel inside and out. We know the entire depth chart. Another thing I loved about these supplemental drafts is somebody would pick up a player who wasn't well known and they might not know their first name. And they'd say things like, oh, I'm going to pick up Brown of Houston, (laughs) you know, because they didn't know his name was Gary. They know his first initial. Yeah. Brown of Houston. (laughs) Love that. I love that. And we'd make jokes like, oh, let me write that. I'll I'll write his name on my list right now so I can cross it off, you know, stuff like that. Although Gary Brown did have a nice run for a couple of years, but you could draft somebody that somebody may not have heard of. That that just doesn't happen now. You know, we've, we know the backups at every position, you know, I'm in one league, one Colorado league that's deep enough that people will, it's a 20 team, 20 round. uh, You just draft 400 guys. Then you watch them play. There's no maintenance. People will draft free agent kickers in that league. That's, that's how deep it goes. Yeah, nobody was drafting a free agent kicker in, in 1992 or 93. Also, let me, I got to get one confessional out here. I'll make it really short. The first year I, I played, I, I had a co-owner um, who I will call Hams. Um, his last name is Hamilton. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want the story to have any blowback on him. So he's a great guy though. And, and a longtime friend. We're still great friends to this day. So we decided to do some prep independently. And then we would get together and have our strategy. We, we went to a restaurant and had our strategy session. And we both first year were playing fantasy football and we both came up with the great idea that we wanted to draft a kicker proactively, but not certainly not in the first round or the second round. And, I, and God, I hope it wasn't like the third or fourth round, but I really don't remember. But we both thought, I think having a really good kicker would be a, just a, a distinct advantage that maybe people don't <laughs> take seriously in fantasy. And he goes, I think so too. I forget who introduced the idea, but the other person quickly agreed. So we focused on Pete Stoyanovich was the kicker we wanted. We were the first team to take a kicker. The whole room breaks out into laughter. Stoyanovich had been a monster the previous year. And what I quickly learned is that kicker seasons year over year are not particularly consistent. Stoyanovich was terrible between getting opportunities and actually making those kicks. And uh, I mean, the worst mistake you can make, right, is to put value. We still see it now. Like some fantasy defense will separate itself one season and people think this is an outlier. This is, this is the t- defense worth taking in the seventh round. And it never is right. I mean, and as great as like Justin Tucker is, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's, there's other guys who are nearly as good as Tucker. Maybe McPherson, the Cincinnati kid is the new Tucker. I, I still think Justin Tucker is the best kicker I've ever seen, but you could never draft a kicker and just pick up somebody every week and do just fine at the position. But the first draft I was in, we did, we were the first team to take a kicker. It was greeted with laughter and, you know, they say the way to get good at anything is to make mistakes. So right. I, I made, I got one of the biggest mistakes I could make out of the way really early when nobody was watching. We should, uh, we should probably get into things that have actually changed in, you know, outside of fantasy football, uh, but instead in the real game uh, and, and talk about that a bit. Because, and I think the biggest one is, is really with regard to the running back position, right? I, um, and that, you know, I think you and I independently would have come up with the fact that the, the, the rise of backfield committees and, and sort of the extinction, extinction might be too strong a word, but the, the, you know, we, we just don't have any full workload guys anymore. It's like Najee Harris, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor isn't even like a full workload guy, right? Like they don't, they don't lean. There's no team that leans on anyone quite the way Pittsburgh will lean on its running backs. And there's almost nobody else who, who fills those roles. Um, but I, in, in preparation for this podcast, one of the things that I did is I went back and looked at a couple of old drafts, like, you know, really old drafts, like, like 15, 17 years old. I brought up a, let's see, I've got a, I've got a 2006 draft in front of me right now. It is a uh, 16 teamer and 13 of the first 16 picks are running backs. 
Lamont Jordan goes fourth. There's a fun name. Uh, who else is in the first round? Warwick Dunn is in the first round. Chester Taylor in the first round. Sean Alexander, Julius Jones, Cadillac Williams. Uh, I was drafting 16th, took Reggie Bush. Um, but the first round of any draft back then is basically drowning in running backs, right? Back in, but, but like, and that wasn't even a bad, that wasn't even a bad call. That was totally justifiable. Back in 2005, you know, we're sort of basing our decisions in 2006 off of what we just saw in 2005. There were 14 running backs who handled over 300 touches uh, and 10 who saw at least 300 carries. Last year in a 17 game season, there were only four running backs who saw 300 touches and like two guys saw 300 carries, right? It just doesn't happen anymore. So committees, uh, you know, at, at various points in the history of the NFL, the committee backfields have been there, but they really rise like in the, in the 2000s, right? We get work done in TJ Duckett. We get Stephen Davis and Deshaun Foster. And then later Carolina gives us D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Um, Jacksonville has Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew. Tennessee gives us Lindale White and Chris Johnson, and it becomes more popular over time. People realize the the sort of fun. I feel like the Patriots were were among the first to recognize the sort of fungible nature of of the running back position, the replaceability. Was it Tiki of Barber players. and Tyrone Wheatley, and who was Barber's running mate in the Giants? Um, did did Barber over Barber overlapped with uh, Brandon Jacobs? Jacobs? Maybe. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thund- that was their thunder and lightning. T- by, by the way, Tiki Barber grossly underrated. So was work done. I think yeah. Tiki Barber should be in the Hall of Fame. Um. Yeah. So. Uh- like you and I have have managed teams um, during this era, and I and I think this is one of those situations where like the uh, you, you know that PPR we we've talked about this before. PPR kind of rose as a as a reaction to this, right? Because the the first round, second round, it's just all running backs. And to add a little bit of spice to the game, let's change the scoring a little bit. But I feel like the NFL itself has kind of resolved that issue by by uh, moving away from these like full workload, every down, every snap featured runners. Yeah, that, that is not I, I mocked myself earlier for that kicker misstep we made. But one thing I did get to early because it's so obvious when I entered fantasy is just the domination of the running back that you had to have one of the best backfields in your league to win your league. And there was no way around it. No, nobody was drafting zero RB in, in 1993. Um, because you it, it, it wouldn't work, you know. There, yeah. there may be one impact runner or two impact runners that would emerge during the season. You better land on those guys. Jerry Rice screwed. would basically go in the first round in 1993, and that was it. That was your right. that was your receiver. Yeah, that was the yeah the, that was the person who was the oddball in your league. You know, the, the lefty, the redhead <laughs> child was was the Jerry Rice manager. Um, we didn't even call the managers then. That's how different things were. But you know, I, it, it's. I mean, I think about the Scott Fishbowl, right, where industry, uh, gigantic industry league, but it also has a, a bunch of people um, who are non-industry people in it. It's been over 2,000 managers in recent seasons. And what Scott Fish always likes to do with his settings is he likes to make the most convoluted. I mean, they're funky. I guess that's the word. I love Scott Fish. I'm, this is all a Scott Fish, you know, just a celebration. But he wants to make scoring system that opens up a draft to – as many different spider web strategies as possible. Yeah. He he, wa- he doesn't want every draft board to have the same 12 players in, in some general order. He wants people to be able to consider it. And so it's a super flex league and it's got you know, all these different stats that maybe a lot of leagues wouldn't count, but he wants to give you know, the guy who wants robust receivers a path, the guy who wants robust tight ends, a path, the guy who wants the best quarterback room in the league, these are all relevant strategies. It doesn't have to be, okay, I, I better get my running back room right. And if it's not set up correctly, I'm screwed. 
And I love that. I'm all for that. That's why I'm, I've always been a fan of, I was early proponent to let's get three receivers in the game. Let's add a tight end to the game. Let's play super flex. You have more players to root for. And when one of your players gets hurt in the first quarter, isn't a kill shot. That's another thing that's changed over the years. And, and I've kind yeah. of danced around this early fantasy. You know, I was in some leagues where you might start like seven guys, six or seven guys, eight guys, you know, now it's, it's leagues generally don't operate that way. Maybe some basic leagues do, but most leagues, you're starting, you know, 11 guys or something like that, or, or at least more than the seven or eight that we were fine with back in the day. And that's good. That smooths out variance. That means, you know, I remember one year I had, I think Peyton Manning on my team, he threw seven touchdowns and I lost, you know? Um, <laughs> but I think that's a feature, not a bug. I think starting more guys is a feature, not a bug. And I, I like that. I think when a draft board has more, you know, now all the draft boards have the color coded positions. When, when a draft board is all the same color in that first round, that's bad. When the draft board has a lot of multicolor in the, in the early rounds, I think that's certainly what yeah. you want and makes the league much more interesting. You know, another thing that I want to dive into to with uh, with you is the extent to which I mean, and it's crazy that this has only happened over 15 years, 17 years, whatever. The extent to which um, passing ratio and passing efficiency have have increased uh just like throughout the fantasy era across the nfl um i was looking at just looking at a handful of numbers this morning in 1992 the average nfl team had 18.4 touchdown passes 18.5 interceptions 5.8 net yards per attempt and uh 479 pass attempts in 2020 you know the most recent 16 game season average nfl team had 27.2 passing touchdowns. That's that's nine more passing touchdowns. Only 12.3 interceptions. So interceptions are down. 6.4 net yards per attempt. 563.1 attempts per per season for the average team, which is which is insane. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that like you could lead the league in pass attempts with like 550. Um, that's like within the fantasy era, within the Yahoo fantasy era. Um, and, and now just an average team is like 560, 570. And as you, as you mentioned earlier, it, it is now, it is now routine to see three receivers on the field. And that used to be such an oddball thing. Yeah. I mean, Troy Aikman, Hall of Famer. And I, and I realized that that Cowboys offense of the Aikman era was more designed around Emmett Smith than maybe the passing game, but Aikman through 20 touchdowns or more in one season he had a 23 touchdown season <laughs> and, and to, to be fair i mean he was a player who you know the early fantasy writers like you and i were saying you know one of the things you have to figure out in fantasy is a player like troy aikman is much more valuable to the cowboys than he is to a fantasy manager because he wasn't a big touchdown guy but still i mean he, he's, he's getting you 16 touchdowns 18 touchdowns you know th this was common uh the the strategy of the game it's been all, it's all of which went to michael irvin by the way like the 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 share that his best receiver had was crazy yeah, you know, I, I don't have the the actual saturation numbers, but the you were much less likely back in the day to get touchdown trolled because the again, the yeah, the personnel groupings with the two receivers with the tight end, you know, it was very, once in a while a fullback would score a touchdown or a quarterback might run in a touchdown who you didn't expect to run in one and, and that would be your troll. But generally speaking, Cowboys scoring touchdowns, Emmett Smith. The Chargers are scoring a touchdown. It's Ladanian Tomlinson. The the Seahawks are scoring a touchdown. The MVP year for Sean Alexander is certainly Sean Alexander. And you didn't worry about, oh, 
you know, what offensive designer is going to find a, a play for his fourth or fifth receiver, or, you know, or they're, or they're going to, nobody had this package for a backup court. Or Kansas Hills City touchdowns like, were handled by Priest Holmes and Priest Holmes alone. Right. Right. Yeah. The one gadgety guy I remember was Cordell Stewart. You know, the, the, the Steelers yeah. used to, they called him Slash and he would do different things. And that was incredibly, oh my God, what are the Steelers doing? This is so unusual, but um, it's easier to score now. It's easier to throw the ball. NFL teams have realized that. Also, I'm, the, the rules have changed a lot. With the quarterbacks, you can't even look at a quarterback with ill intent now without drawing a 15-yard personal foul. It's become so easy for them to run. The quarterbacks, in theory, they don't get hurt as much. I don't know if the numbers bear that out, but they've done everything they can to protect the quarterbacks. The league knows that's the marquee position, and that's where the league's bread is buttered, is through stars. So they don't want the quarterbacks to get hurt. But um, now it's just a lot easier to score. It's a lot easier to pass and everybody's figured every team in the league is playing that way. It's like, you know, in baseball now, you know, swing with a launch angle, you know, hit, hit with an uppercut and it's so hard to hit the ball. Just try to hit a home run. Don't try to no more of this the three singles for a rally. Um, if a coach went to the podium right now and said, Oh, we're going to be the most run heavy team in the league. And we're not going to throw the ball much at all. You know, we're going to play like 1975, you know, big 10 football or uh, <laughs> something like that. that. They get laughed out of the room, right? Like, oh, what did we do here? We just hired Woody Hayes or Bo Schembechler or something, but much easier to throw now. And again, you know, with those personnel groupings, you're much more likely to get touchdown trolled as well. One of the, now this predates for most people, the the fantasy era, but one of the big years, I think, in NFL history. In fact, I've, I've thought sometimes that if I was ever going to write an NFL book, it would focus on 1978 um, for a variety of reasons. Sure. One of Pass those reasons. Yeah. One of those reasons being illegal contact, right? Like they just they just wiped out contact between a, a DB and a receiver beyond five yards beyond the, the line of scrimmage, you know, whether the ball's in the air or not. Um, and it just makes it just makes a huge difference that the combination of that rule. And I think there was there's something with with holding that went into effect the same year, right? Like offensive linemen being able to extend their arms and pass protection, things like that. Combination of a couple of rule changes that year just sent passing efficiency and it didn't happen all right away but um it, it just uh, passing efficiency has been on an upward trend basically ever since if you look at the efficiency of a running play versus a passing play throughout the 70s they basically give you the same result and ever since a running play has has been exactly what it was in 1976 in 1977 and and passing has just become simply more efficient more productive there are mo more points associated with it at virtually every year and a lot of that goes back to, you know, the, the 70s when you could basically, I don't know, like you had to wear a defensive back like a cape down the field. Almost any time somebody, somebody looks at passing numbers from like the early 70s, mid 70s, they're doing it out of context. And, they, you know, you see 20, everybody threw 20 interceptions, right? Because you're, if you're, if you're going to throw it all, you're going to throw the ball deep downfield, right? Everybody threw 20 interceptions. You're throwing to receivers who couldn't catch a break with uh, with defensive backs. You could do virtually anything you wanted to with a with a guy. So, you know, we 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 now value traits in receivers that like the the traits that you had to have as a receiver in like 1975 are just fundamentally different from what they are now. You had to hand fight all the way down the field. Anyway, it's this you know it's this huge hinge point in basically in NFL history and in the direction that that offenses are going to go. And I I've always thought that was uh, that's that's really just one of the most fascinating years. Yeah, that's a great inflection point and a lot to unpack with that. Interceptions used to be like smoking. You know, people just didn't <laughs> think it was bad for you to throw a bunch of picks. And now they've gone the other way where they, you know, I, I you know, Michael Salfino always says that the ideal interception rate is not zero and he'll get he'll get on quarterbacks yeah. sometimes. 
if they're not taking enough chances down the field. But back then it was the other way around. And the league, I think, realized something. And, and you can argue maybe this genie is out of the bottle too far. and Maybe the, the rule changes have been too extensive to go in the other direction. But at one point the league realized rather than make it really easy to play defense and to absolutely harass receivers, let's make it easy to play offense and let's kind of legalize holding and let's give our quarterbacks a chance and let's give our receivers a chance. Yeah, I used to always complain about the NHL tacitly approving interference in the expansion era. And then you had all these championships in New Jersey Devils won playing this game where it's all predicated on you can have the puck and we'll just try to score off counterattack and we'll try to really muck up the game and make it ugly to watch. And that's why I love like the Colorado Avalanche where Joe Sackick says, yeah, we have an obligation to be good. We have an obligation to be entertaining too. We want to possess the puck. We want to do exciting things. And it's a great era in the NHL now because they've steered into the offense. The NFL had a problem in the 70s where, again, you could do anything yeah. you wanted to a receiver. The videos are out there. And they said, no, wait a minute. Let's give the receivers a chance. Let's let the quarterback stay upright and the game will be better for it. Now, it hasn't gone too far. You could argue maybe it has. I remember one of the early years that John Madden, the, the late great John Madden, was working for CBS. He was doing a game in September, like the first game of the year. And somebody said, maybe he's even a preseason game. And somebody said to John Madden, you know, what do you think some of the changes are going to be in the NFL this year? And he said, I think third and three is going to become a passing down. That That's how mm -hmm. different things were back then, where third and three, everybody ran the ball. And if you threw it, you were like crazy Don Coriel or somebody, you know. <laughs> but now it's like third and three. You you know, the, the run would be a, like a surprise play, almost like a gimmick or a gadget play. You might run a draw every once in a while. But the th third and three has been a passing down for a long time. But uh, you, you pick a – it's funny. Uh, football reference, you can go on football reference and look at, at fantasy – even back before maybe anybody was playing fantasy, I think the early fantasy leagues date back into the 70s. That Colorado league I mentioned, they swear that they started playing in 77 or 78, something like that. They mentioned the Nat Moore game, or maybe you've mentioned the Nat Moore game. The, the Nat Moore had 1977. Bob Greasy threw 22 touchdown passes, led the league that year. Six of them, I believe, were on Thanksgiving Day. So he had 16 touchdowns the rest of the season. Yeah, but I, I wrote a story for Yahoo several years ago. It might be 10 years ago now about a league that, is believed to be the the longest standing, you know, continuous fantasy league out there. Obviously, fantasy football itself starts in the in the early 1960s, but these guys had been playing their like Chicago suburban league. Um they're they're now on to like their second or third generations within the family or like are managing teams in this thing. And they started in something like 76 or 75. And um when I remember when I spoke to them 10 years ago, and touchdown only league. That's all they tracked. All of their league records were still were still set in the Nat Moore game, <laughs> which I which I found hilarious. Like one guy had both Greasy and Nat Moore and uh, and set the the single game scoring. Right the early yeah, the early stacking. I remember a guy in my fantasy <laughs> hockey league. This guy named Spike, who would set his daily hockey lineup. This daily hockey lineup league we did out of the L.A. Times. He would have all the uh, like L.A. Kings on this team or something. Like four of the guys. We all thought he was crazy. We didn't realize that stacking, if you had the right guys to stack, could actually be really yeah. really strategic and smart. But I love the football reference. You can go back and look at fantasy finishing rankings from a season. And also, you talked about how the stats are different. It drives me crazy when somebody will, will show, like, maybe they'll show Tua this year, and they'll try to argue that Tua is, you know, making a breakthrough. And they'll compare his quarterback rating, the Dan Marino's quarterback rating in a given <laughs> year. The era is so different. And 
fantasy, the football uh, reference pages, they have context adjusted stats. You have to go with that. You, you have to take every stat and adjust it to its context where a hundred is neutral. And then you can, you can do, you can be fair with that stuff. It's, it's not fair to say, Oh, well, here's how Justin Herbert stacks up the Dan Fouts. They're playing a completely different game. Radically different games. Radically different game. We have indexed adjusted stats. They're really easy to use. They're all based on a hundred being league average. And, um, you know, whether it be OPS plus for baseball or, or all the football stats that you can use, you, you have to, it's mostly for quarterbacks, I guess, but yeah, you have to go, you have to take everything in the era that's played in. And if you don't do that, then you're going to have a really misguided idea of how good Ken Stabler was or something like that, because they were playing in or, you know, or Marino or Fouts or anybody of you know, Joe Montana. Oh, wow. You know, Joe, you're telling, telling me Joe Montana's best rating was X, Y, Z. The league is different now. The, the, tide has risen and the boats have risen with it yeah yeah that is you know i don't i don't think of myself as somebody who diminishes the accomplishments of modern athletes right and i'm I'm not like much of a back in my day person um but but i do pretty firmly believe that dan marino who was who was basically a, a he was like a visitor from another it was like he was dropped in from another era in in the in the mid 80s you can't convince me he wouldn't throw for six thousand yards today Oh sure, I, I, he he would love the fact that you couldn't you couldn't hit him and with that quick release. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. His second season, he throws forty eight touchdown passes. What would the equivalent of that be today? Like seventy? I mean, something crazy. Yeah, yeah. some ridiculous oh. number. And and five thousand yards, it, like in a year when four thousand yards was crazy. Like we just didn't we didn't see a lot of four thousand yard seasons. And he's and he's dropping five thousand. And, and you know, if somebody had told you in nineteen eighty four, and and Marino had a fantastic career. He actually did a Yahoo fantasy event, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. He was delightful. Um, Kelly Olynyk was. was at the yeah. event. Was really good too. Uh, Dan was really great. Um, fun to meet him that day and, and talk some football. But if somebody had told you in nineteen eighty four that Marino would have a full career relatively healthy he had that one year where he, he blew out his knee came back strong the next year but he would never win another mvp and more importantly never go back to the super bowl although the dolphins would be a playoff team just about every year you would be like no get out of here that's it just shows you how hard it is to to win anything you know and we think about like what brady went to 10 super bowls or he's, he's still active of course but it's just hard to win one championship. You know, if Buffalo gets out of this Josh Allen era with one title, I think that's good. Two would be unbelievable, yeah. you know? Um, it's so hard. And, and right now, the league is stocked with, you know, there are superstar quarterbacks all over the place where if you don't have, and you don't have a superstar quarterback, you feel like you can't keep up. Well, we but, made that point man. last year with uh, with Joe Burrow making it to the Super Bowl. Like, as good as they look and as young as they are, and they've done everything right, the AFC is such a buzzsaw. Like, Joe Burrow can have a Hall of Fame career and never go back to a to a Super Bowl with the with the way the AFC looks right now. Totally valid. Uh, although at least we've talked. I don't. I don't want to rehash what we did last week, but at least the Bengals have approached the Burrow situation. It's like, okay, let's get him the best help yeah. we can. Let's get him Jamar Chase. Let's get him T. Higgins. This year they've addressed the offensive line, which has been a problem. Of course, Burrow needs to have a little bit better pocket awareness. He'll come around to that. He's a big Joe Burrow fan here. But it's why you wonder what the Bears are doing, where it's like, where's the Jamar Chase for for just, for Justin Fields? And, and, <laughs> Tell me and about Granted, it. there is not a tree where Jamar Chase falls off and Justin Jefferson falls off, but we are at a time where where talent comes into the league. And I, I know this is another, I'll, I'll just go meld into one of your points you wanted to make. 
rookies, right? Rookie yeah. running backs used to be a thing, but we would never touch a rookie receiver. We would never touch a rookie tight end. We probably wouldn't touch a rookie quarterback, but the, the receivers were the big thing. It's like the, the lemming in your league was the guy who was taking the first round buzzy receiver. It's like, ah, you're an idiot. I'll, I'll scoop that guy up three years from now when he breaks out, but not now. Rookie receiver, biggest bad play. And I think the year that, that didn't change, I don't think, Andy, until 2014, the year of Mike Evans and Odell Beckham and Sammy Watkins was still good then, stuff like about, that. About every five years, we would get a rookie receiver who would do literally anything, right? We would get Randy Moss, and then time would pass, and then we would get Anquan Bolton, and then time would pass, right? But it was not an annual thing. We didn't get, you know, to like today... We're just sort of we're, we're asking which wide receiver is going to finish with like twelve hundred yards, fourteen hundred yards, not not whether it's going to happen, because, of course, it's going to happen. Justin Jefferson did it and Jamar Chase did it and it continually happens. I, I think you're right at receiver. Twenty fourteen changed everything. It was Odell Beckham um, stepping onto the field and immediately being better than he'd ever been at LSU and, and being comfortable and utterly unstoppable over like twelve games. And he wasn't the only guy that year, right? It was, it may have been Watkins first year. Kelvin Benjamin had a huge year. Mike Evans is having a bit like everybody had big, everybody in that rookie class, except for Devonte Adams, who's probably the best of it had huge seasons. I feel like, I feel like it was Cam Newton who kind of changed it at quarterback, right? Because like all of a sudden we have high expectations for quarterbacks too. It used to be that they didn't play as rookies or if they did, they were Peyton Manning and they threw 28 interceptions and we weren't even bothered by that because of course he did. He was a rookie. But then Cam Newton happened and RG3 luck and Russell Wilson happened um, and things changed. And I, I don't like I struggle with this one a little bit because I don't know if this is it's probably a combination of NFL teams adopting some college principles. And it's also collegiate offenses getting a lot more interesting and a lot more dynamic. Right. And, and a lot more varied and, and, and like there's a lot of receivers on the field for a lot of teams in college right now. And that didn't used to be the case. And I think receivers I think more is asked of quarterbacks. I think more is asked of receivers at the college level now at, at many of the power five programs. I think that's part of it, but I don't know. I, I would be interested in your thoughts on that. And I would also be interested in your thoughts on whether like you've to the, to the extent that it has changed the way you draft in fantasy, because I think of you as somebody who's like, you're a, like you're a, and it serves you really well in fantasy serves serves you really well in a lot of aspects um like being a skeptic is is part of who you are right and like you're not the guy generally who's like oh i want to be first to that prospect i want to be first to that to that young guy who's never do, done anything in the league whether we're talking baseball football i i wonder to what extent that has changed for you in the nfl it's a great point um i felt especially in football but also in baseball the importance to have younger rosters um, I'm much more proactive. I, again, rookie running backs, it's never been an issue. You can even argue yeah. that maybe they're not the shape of rookie running backs is so much different now. They don't go in the first round. First now, year is often the best year. Like I don't, is Saquon ever going to have a year as good as his rookie year? Oh, I'm at a point now I'm afraid to draft into second contracts. Yeah. Mid twenties to late twenties is old for fantasy skill players, certainly old for a running back. And I, I wrote something up. I did my running back exit interview. I wrote, wrote about that. I also wrote about it in the Lindy's magazine about, how the windows just don't stay open as long at running back as we think just, it wasn't that long ago that Todd Gurley ruled the world or Le'Veon Bell ruled the world or Christian McCaffrey ruled the world or Barkley. You know, I think Elliot's at a really dangerous point. Um, so I, I want to get younger at these positions for sure. And it, they come players come to the league younger. Now, if you're any good in college, you probably yeah. don't stay right. four years. 
So a rookie year is is bumped up a year too. We see that. I, I just want to put a cap on this 2014 rookie class. If if you sort them by receiving yards for their career, we come up with Mike Evans, Devontae Adams, Brandon Cooks, Jarvis Landry, Beckham, who was a <laughs> comet when he came out, um, Matt Harmon's best friend, Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, John Brown. Uh, that's that. Those guys all came out at the same time. And I'm not even mentioning Kelvin Benjamin, who who had some moments, Martavis Bryant, who had some moments. You know, even some of these guys down the list, you know, Dante Moncrief had, was drafted uh, to, to the detriment of people probably a lot of the time. But again, again rookie, the, the stance on rookie receivers is totally flipped. And I think we need I've certainly changed on this. We need to get our rosters need to get younger and we need to. I used to fantasy baseball talk about the Ibanez All-Stars, the boring veteran players. I still think you can make a little bit of value on them in, in baseball, but in, in fantasy football, our editor, Jason Kabaka would be like, well, do you want to do something like the Ibanez All-Stars for fantasy football? I think for a few years, I might've done that. And every once in a while, you'll get a Frank Gore who has a nice season at the end of his career on the back end, the back nine, if you will, of a career. But you generally don't want to be drafting the old team in your league. I mean, I, I know yeah. the rules are different at quarterback. And maybe even the rules are different at tight end. Age might be a good thing. Experience might be a good thing at tight end. At running back and receiver, if you have the oldest teams in your fantasy league at those positions, you're going to get killed. Another another thing that gets to sort of current or modern fantasy draft philosophy that I want to talk about is um, your willingness to draft a quarterback in, say, the first third of your draft, right? Because I feel like... I feel like back in the day, and this was very defensible, like when when you would get a dozen fantasy experts together for a draft and, you you know, you and I have been in plenty of these, we would just we would just wait to see who blinked first at quarterback. Right. Like it, you'd wait all day. Um, we'd, we'd be in the seventh round and no quarterback would be drafted. Tenth round, maybe no quarterback would be drafted. Um, this was almost it, like an implied contract that we all weren't. Yes. Nobody said it. But yeah. it's almost it was implied that you, we're not going like, to we're going to publish this thing in a magazine. We can't have somebody seeing us take a quarterback in the sixth round, seventh round. Who does that? And of course, behavior in hometown leagues was always different. There's always the guy in your hometown league who wants the quarterback from his hometown team or whatever that happens. But it, like within the the fantasy expert world, you just didn't do it. And now I feel like that's very different. And I'm not this is one that I have a difficult time explaining because I can, you know, I can tell you why the the backfield committee has has risen to prominence. I can tell you, you know, why passing is such a an essential part of the game and why there's always three or four receivers on the field now. I can't totally tell you why we're we're drafting quarterbacks in round three, in round four, and super comfortable with it. I think I think it's possible that it is a reaction to some of the mega seasons that we've sort of the the golden ticket seasons that we see at the position, right? Maybe beginning with uh, Manning with the Broncos. Maybe it's Mahomes a few years ago. Maybe it's Lamar Jackson. There certainly have been plenty of seasons where if you just get quarterback right, you're you're in the playoffs. Um, that happens just just as you were last year with Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor, right? We've seen some of those years, but I have a difficult time explaining, and maybe we're just I don't like we have such a terrible history. I'm I'm meandering a little bit here, but we have such a terrible history when we take when we take quarterbacks in the first round, right? Like if you you want to talk about a loser bet in in fantasy football over time, it has been the first round quarterback. It has been, you know, 
Michael Vick at number one overall. It's Andrew Luck in the first round. It's Peyton Manning in the first round coming off. Tom Brady. It's Brady. It's Brady in 2008 for injury reasons. Like every time we talk ourselves into it, it face plants. It is literally never Cordell Stewart, a guy that you mentioned earlier. Like there was a minute there where Cordell was was coming off his one really big season and people were like, oh, man, this guy's a revolution. And he never had another good year. Right. Like it just it it has continually failed. And so we're not doing that with Josh Allen. I don't think anybody's taking Josh Allen in round one, but he, he goes in round three. He goes in round four. And these are, you know, these are experts leagues. These are these are, um, you know, major industry leagues. You just see it all the time now. And I'm not I have a difficult time explaining it. Maybe you can. Yeah, you know, I think it speaks to we understand one thing that we do understand as a community a lot better is recency bias is regression is the idea that all those quarterbacks you talked about who were drafted into the maybe in the early rounds of the first round after monster seasons we we now understand that it's just if somebody was unbelievably great and statistically great in the season that means a lot of things have to go right and the odds of that happening again are just so it's so hard you know people would talk about all oh, the sports illustrated cover jinx to get on this cover of sports illustrated for doing <laughs> something well that that means every you've hit every green light and it's yeah. just hard and first of all, there are plenty of players like you know, Michael Jordan, who was constantly on the cover, didn't seem to hurt him at all. You know, had a wonderful career, as last I checked. But we now we understand that you don't want to and fantasy analysis, both from a writer standpoint and, and and from a player standpoint. It used to be all backwards looking. Okay, let's let's dig into all the stats that happened last year and let's analyze them and let's figure them out frontwards and backwards like the next season is going to play. This is the whole Wayne Gretzky thing, right? You don't skate to where the puck has been. You skate to where the puck is going. As an industry, I think we're much better at skating to where the puck is headed now. And we talk about things about who's headed for positive regression, negative regression. How have things shifted? How are things likely to play out? Who just played an easy schedule that may have a harder schedule? And, and by the way, Warren Sharp uh, just kills the strength of schedule by the great idea of using the NFL win totals rather than last year's one loss record, which is just a, a failed way to do that. So I think we're much smarter about that. The thing with quarterback and the reason why I'm I want to get a quarterback who has a chance to be a top five quarterback, but I never want to be the person who breaks the seal. I mean, it, you, you never want to say never, of course. If if a league was absolutely treating Josh Allen like he was dipped in radioactive waste, maybe I would shrug <laughs> at a point where I didn't like anybody else. Say, screw it. I'll be the Josh Allen guy, but I probably won't be. I wasn't the Mahomes guy after he popped. I wasn't the Lamar Jackson guy after he popped. I'm hoping to find the player who can take the step forward the year all those guys took their step forward, the year Mahomes became a starter, the year Allen became great. You were famously, and to your credit, very early to, hey, Lamar Jackson could be a league winner this year. He could be an MVP ticket for you. You called out lot ahead of time. A great thing to be right on. But I, I want to draft my quarter, quarterback strategies. Can I find a top five quarterback but not have to pay a top five price? That's generally the way I'm going to approach it for a couple of reasons. One, those guys will show up sometimes. But two, the thing with quarterback is that in a standard league where you only start one, and again, I'm, I'm a super flex guy. I'll always be a super flex guy. But in the leagues where you only start one, nobody will ever be stuck at quarterback. And there's always going to be one guy. I remember Bill Simmons famously said, I'm going to draft four quarterbacks in my league. Somebody will have to trade with me. And then he found out <laughs> nobody will have to trade with him because everybody always thinks they have a good quarterback or they just picked up, oh, nobody is Kirk Cousins. I'll pick him up or whoever, you know, or Jared Goff is a good matchup this week. I'll yeah. pick him up. Nobody's ever stuck in a one quarterback league. And ultimately what makes a fantasy player valuable is his marginal value over 
the re replacement player or his his peers, his field. And there's so much grouping. There may be an outlier quarterback, maybe one or two quarterbacks outscore everybody else by a great margin, but the rest of them are going to be clumped together and you're not going to get much of an edge of that position. So I'm always, of the four major positions, it's the one I'll treat the least proactively. I, I still think that's the way to draft. I mean, J.J. Zacharyson has made a career out of late round QB, but I, I don't mind if you can be one of the middle, middle teams that draft a quarterback. I still think drafting a quarterback early is a mistake. Yeah, you can. I mean, certainly it should go without saying you can still win a league um, drafting a relatively late round quarterback. That Any was the strategy point. works if you pick the right players. Right. Well, that was the point of Lamar Jackson a few years ago. Right. Was he was the guy that you could take as the 10th quarterback off the board with a realistic chance to to finish number one overall. I feel like people are making that case for like smartly making that case for Jalen Hurts perhaps this season, um, it, it's out there as a possibility. I feel like some of this, our willingness to draft quarterbacks in in like rounds three through five, has a little bit to do with um, the 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 rise of the the rushing quarterback, right? And, and whenever we want to say that started, maybe it, I mean, obviously there have been running quarterbacks throughout the history of the NFL, throughout the history of football. You know, Culpepper had his moments. Cordell had his moments. Um, Vic certainly had his moments. But like Steve Young, Steve, but, Steve oh, Young. absolutely, huge part of uh, of Steve Young's fa fantasy value. But but with with Cam, it became an annual thing. It was a super predictable thing. Um, the touchdowns were always there. The rushing yards were always there. It is the it is the safety net with Lamar Jackson, right? Like he just stays healthy. He's giving you a thousand rushing yards, which is a ridiculous advantage. And it's there for Josh Allen as, as well. Right. Like I, I think a lot of us expect Josh Allen to run a little bit less this year. I don't expect him to run so much less that he dips below like 450 rushing yards, which is, which is still just a huge edge over the rest of the position. So I, f I feel like maybe our bullishness is related to the dual threat guys. Sure. Um, and, I, and you hit on a key point with Buffalo. I'm curious to see. There's been whispers of, you know, we need Josh Allen to pull back on the running and we have all these great receivers. Now, that, that's a nice thing to do. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. You know, when, when they're behind 17-3 at halftime to somebody, maybe Josh Allen says, screw it. I, I got to, this is what's working. This is what's available to me. This is what the defense is giving me as they're sitting back in the shell. I got to run. One reason why I love quarterback running props in the playoffs, I think there's more of a YOLO effect where it's like, okay, I don't have to, I'm not playing for the long term here. I'm playing for the short term. Yeah. We need this first down and a lot to, although I think books have probably adjusted to that. Maybe that opportunity to exploit it has gone away as I've gotten smarter with some of the player prop lines. The other thing that's different, by the way, um, you know, if, if you had a fantasy feeling, it, you had to apply it to the one league you're playing in the 90s. Now, oh, yeah. uh, if you like something that doesn't apply to your roster, put it in a DFS lineup, put it in a player prop. You know, you can get invested any way you want, um, which is fun. You know, as long as you, you stay reasonable with it, and you bet with your head and all that. But you, you can have a lot of fun with that. And you know, next thing you know, you may have five or six figures in your bank account if you play your cards right. Um, as hard as that is to do, but it's still doable. But yeah, quarterback, quarterbacks, the, the running quarterback has always been around. It's just now it's at a point where the league, you can't hit these guys. So what used to always happen with Vic and with some of the other mobile guys is people would scream out, no, this is not sustainable. You know, he's going to get, he's going to be one kill shot. The season's going to be over. His career's going to be changed. And the league has gone, I think, too far with it now where with the sliding and with, the, you can't hit the quarterbacks. It's, it is more of a sustainable business. And I, again, yeah. I don't know that, yeah. that Lamar Jackson's going to have a 15 year career playing like this, but I mean, it's not, it used to always be a common fear that th this was like a, a deer on roller skates. It was just going to end badly. And I don't think we feel that way anymore right? because the league has legislated again, a league that a style of play where it's it's more functional to do it year over year. 
I think the only other thing that I want to bring up on this on this general topic of changes in fantasy over the years is anti-kicker sentiment. I don't remember anyone hating kickers when we maybe 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 they maybe they were out there in small pockets and I just didn't recognize them. I don't remember I don't remember anybody trying to ban kickers in the 90s. Like I think we just accepted that it was a big part of the game. I think it's pretty clear that over time, like it kicker scoring isn't going to match up perfectly with the highest scoring NFL teams, but it's, but it's not that far off, right? Like you look at the scoring leaders from last season and you're going to find a bunch of kickers from playoff teams and near playoff teams. It helps a little bit sometimes if you're, if you're tied to an offense that might get mired in the, in the red zone a little bit, maybe you get a few more field goal attempts, but they're not, you know, in my mind, over a full season, kicker scoring certainly isn't random. That's a bit too strong. Um, Justin Tucker is great and is always great. Um, the best offenses produce many of the best kickers, but we have um, we just have a movement against it. And I feel like it's I feel like it's actually a little bit linked to. And I understand this to a certain extent. It's linked to um, the popularity of DFS, right? And people just do did not want anything that they considered um, random in a one game sample uh, influencing their their DFS outcomes. I don't understand not wanting it in our season long fantasy leagues. It it really bothers me. Yeah, I'm I'm pro kicker too. Uh, this is a case where the anti kicker crowd jumps on confirmation bias. You know, Kymie Fairbairn's tied to a bad Houston offense. He has a day where he kicks five field goals and, and people rant and say, see, see how stupid kicker scoring is. This guy isn't yeah. even good or the offense stinks. Why would you play him? And he, he just scored 19 points and, and you know, whatever. I lost my league because somebody played him, whatever. But you mentioned, and a lot of people made this point, Ian Allen of the Great Fantasy Index has always made this point. I mean, there's a correlation you want your kicker, and also this goes for really strongly goes for fantasy defense. You want your kickers and your defenses to be from winning teams. You want them to be from favored teams. I get asked every week in the Q and A during Fantasy Football Live, you know, which defense should I pick? And one defense is on like a six point favorite. One defense is tied to a three point underdog. The point spread is yeah. always your friend with these things. Yeah, because you know when you're ahead in the game, you get to play from leverage on the defensive standpoint and on the offensive standpoint. When a team's behind by a certain amount of points, field goals go out the window. They have to score touchdowns. They may even have to go for two point conversions, and the kickers just sitting on the sidelines. It's not perfect. I, I can't promise you that your kicker is going to get a chance late in the first half or, or whatever, or he'll make that long kick. He may get a chance to, to, to be asked to kick. Or again, if you're tied to a really good offense, your fear is always going to be that's all touchdowns one day and you don't get the field goals, which are important for kicker scoring. But there's a very strong correlation between if you have kickers on winning teams, if you have kickers on strong offenses, they're going to be the best kickers year over year. And again, it comes back to the idea, Andy, that, I want, when I play you in a head-to-head game or any of my opponents, I want as many chances, as many data points, as many inflection points, as many decisions as I need to make to go into that matchup to determine who wins and loses, okay? You know, if if I were to play against Steph Curry in a three-point shooting contest, and the idea was, okay, do you want to be a one-shot contest or a (laughs) hundred-shot contest? Of course I want to be one because I might get lucky and and make it. He might get unlucky and miss it. If you took a hundred, I literally have a 0% chance to win. Yeah, unless Curry you know gets the flu that day or gets lost on the way to the stadium, I, I have no chance. Even if he had the flu, he'd beat me. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, and, and even if he got lost in the way to the stadium, he'd probably beat me too. But <laughs> you want if you're skilled at something, you want more iterations. You want yes. more reps. Yeah. You want more samples. You know, more decisions put into the game, and the kicker is part of that. So let's not dump defense scoring and let's not dump kicker scoring as well. 
Okay, final thing I want to ask you here. Um, if you had to take just a wild guess right now, let's say, I don't know, whoever, whatever, whatever, they're probably children now, whoever is is hosting the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast in like 10 years, 15 years, when they're talking about the biggest changes that they've seen, like changes that are going to occur from now until then, whenever, whatever point in the future, like what's that next big shift? What do you, what do you think, uh, uh, you know? 10 years from now they're talking about on this podcast is the biggest change that they've seen in fantasy. Wow. That's, that's a great question. Um, maybe we're going to have like first half games or first quarter games. Hmm. Um, the game is going to become even more micro, right? I mean, DFS used to be a novel concept. Oh my God, the whole season in one day, really? Maybe it's the whole season in one quarter. Maybe it's the whole season in one drive, you know, or uh, I, I can't believe I, I lost that. Allen Robinson Jr. first quarter receiving prop, <laughs> you know, um, and, and also it's it's going to be the scoring is going to be it's going to be on our watch. I, I think my, my crazy life prediction is that eventually people are going to have the internet literally in their hand. Your Palm Pilot is going to be literally your palm, and you're going to make a trade by swiping left or right <laughs> on, on your on your fingers or something like that. Which maybe maybe Can you believe we used to have to do this on a phone. That's crazy. I had, I had to do it on paper, man. I had to. Mike Washburn wanted it in writing. He wanted both teams to literally <laughs> sign off on the trade. You know, it's like uh, now it's like um, now people also in 1993, there's no Andy Barron's to go to when your league had a big hullabaloo or scuffle over some rule interpretation there. or something. Great you, you couldn't take it to an to a neutral observer, neutral <laughs> arbiter. The guy didn't exist. But um, yeah, I look forward to the day when Matt Harmon Jr. is panning Alan Robinson Jr. <laughs> I think that's going to be a great moment from the future. Can't separate. Can't separate. Can't beat man. Can't beat press man coverage. I would be interested in your thoughts on this. I I wonder, and maybe this is just me extrapolating from one isolated situation last year. You know, we used to do this with like, oh man, Cordell Stewart is the quarterback of the future. Antoine Randall, it's all going to look like this. Um, and maybe that's, you know, obviously it wasn't the case then. Perhaps it's not the case now. But you think about the role that like Debo Samuel filled last year and the way other teams kind of messed around with the same concept at the end of the season we saw Amon Ross St. Brown you know lined up all over the field I feel like I feel like we've been we've been having these conversations around position eligibility in fantasy for the last I don't know five years think of Ty Montgomery think of a whole bunch of guys think of Randall Cobb when he started lining up in the backfield right like it happens Marcus Colston, tight end is Ricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is a tight end, right? How how often do I have to line up in line? I mean, is Mark Andrews really a tight end? Is Kelsey, Pitts, all these guys, right? They're barely in line. Are they really tight ends? I feel like we're we're headed toward, you know, the NBA is, has uh, gotten more interesting as it's gone positionless in a lot of respects. I feel like there's a little bit of that in the NFL, and it's possible that we're that we're just on the leading edge of it, if that makes sense. You you can go positionless too in fantasy. I mean, again, I talked about the Colorado League. Where we just draft twenty by twenty, and there's no position eligibility requirements. Yeah. You you, you want to have, you know, seventeen tight ends? Go knock yourself out. So to me, this means let's let's add flexes. Let's add as many flexes as we can, and give the players, give the fantasy managers different opportunities, different strategies, different players that they can use. I'm a big fan of that. In fantasy baseball, I always like to have like a team of Legos, I call it, where I have a bunch of guys who play multiple positions. So again, I'm, I like to have a positionless roster where I'm just putting in the best player and I'm not worried about, oh, I got to fit this position because my team has so much flexibility. That's really not a concern. You don't have to, it doesn't mean I'm drafting a significantly worse player to do that. It's just when I have a tie break, I like to, to slide towards 
the player who plays multiple positions, also a good best ball strategy. Like if you're in something like the Raz Slam, not that I'm doing great in that league, but you know, if you have, if it's best ball scoring and you have somebody who plays multiple positions, it, it gives you more coverage. It gives your team a little bit more of a spider web approach. So um, I, I love the idea of, I love positionless basketball. I love positionless fantasy. I, why not? And who knows? Maybe some years there'll be, this league is completely flex. It's just an offensive flex league. You don't have to draft any positions at all. Maybe that will be a thing sometime where people are just drafting into, you know, the, the 11 best players they can get. And it doesn't matter how many of them are running backs, receivers, quarterbacks, what have you. Yeah, I got to say, I don't I don't hate the idea of that um, because I number one, I don't like having position eligibility discussions. I don't like going through it every year with different players. I think it's really hard to determine in the NFL, like behind the scenes when we have these discussions at Yahoo, I always just say we should list them however the team lists them, because otherwise, if you start counting snaps and where they do we care about where they're lined up at the snap or initially, do we care about, you know, how many routes they're running? And if they're running this many routes, are they a receiver? You know. I feel like we're headed toward um, uh, some sort of positionless, everybody's a flex version of fantasy football, and I'm I'm kind of here for it. I, I'm I want to make it clear. I, I do think some positional requirements make sense. I wouldn't go a hundred percent into a flex format, but my leagues are always going to have multiple flexes in them, and I and I think that's a good way to play. All right, that is going to do it for us for this episode. Hope you guys took something from it. Um, as usual, you can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me at Andy Barons. While you're there, surely you're following at Yahoo Fantasy by now. If you're not, if you've somehow uh, whiffed on that the other hundred times I've said it, go ahead and follow at Yahoo Fantasy right at this moment. Um, Matt and Dalton are going to be back on Wednesday with Fantasy Draft Strategies for Dummies. Until then, we are out.